Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Did y'all know that much like we have a gut microbiome, we also have a skin microbiome, which means we have tons of beneficial bacteria on our skin that protect us from pathogens. And did you also know that when you use harsh soaps and chemicals on your body, it can it can kill those bacteria and it can also create other imbalances, pH imbalances, et cetera, within the skin microbiome. So when I learned this information a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon Alivia skincare, and we have been using it exclusively ever since. So Alivia has body cleanser, so it's like a body wash. My entire family uses it, and not only actually do we use it on our skin as body wash, but we also use it for our hair. Like I don't have shampoo for my kids. I use Alivia for my kids. And I love Alivia because not only does it smell amazing, but it's 100% natural and organic. It's non-toxic. It's free of all artificial fragrances and dyes. It's environmentally friendly. And it's not a soap. It is a prebiotic body cleanser. So it actually helps support and nourish that skin microbiome. And it works so well, especially if you have sensitive skin. It can help with eczema, pariasis, body acne, things like that. We love the green tea honeysuckle scent. It smells heavenly. It's so amazing. I usually stock up and get like five bottles at a time so that I can get free shipping. And they last a really long time. Like five or six bottles will last me, my whole family, about a year or so. So you can go to alivia.com. That's A-L-E-A-V-I-A.com and use the code TaylorK15 and that will save you 15% off of all of your Alivia orders. Hello, hello. Welcome. I'm so excited today to talk to Kelly Upirio, who is amazing. And we're going to continue our conversation from last week about tandem nursing. And I'm so excited to have Kelly here to really give you more of the science and the facts behind tandem nursing, whereas I just shared my own personal journey with you. Kelly Upirio started out her professional life in the field of nutrition. She has two bachelor degrees, one in nutrition and one in exercise physiology. She also has a master's degree in nutrition, and she's a registered dietitian. Before having kids, Kelly was a sports dietitian at Florida State University and then the University of Colorado. After having kids, like many others, her passions changed. She decided that after her breastfeeding relationships, where she got more help from the internet than from doctors or lactation consultants, that she would become the help that she needed. 
and become an International Board Certified Lactation Consultant, IBCLC. Later, she decided to also take classes in orofacial myology and became a certified specialist in orofacial myology. She uses her knowledge as a certified specialist in orofacial myology to understand and guide parents through oral, oral motor difficulties, especially in relation to oral ties. Kelly is passionate about helping families meet their breastfeeding goals. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention before we jump into this interview is that after our interview, Kelly let me know that she made a mistake um, when she was speaking in the podcast, and I'm not going to edit it out because it has a lot of useful information in there, but she mentioned the book Adventures in Tandem Nursing and she said that it was a children's book, which you'll hear in the podcast, but she let me know that she was mistaken and she's not sure why, but she mixed that up and that is actually a parent, um, a book for parents. So just wanted to make that correction. And now without further ado, we will dive into this episode. Can you just start by briefly introducing yourself and telling us who you are? Yeah, thank you. So my name is Kelly Upirio and I am a registered dietitian. I'm an international board certified lactation consultant, and I'm also um, a certified specialist in oral facial myology. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, so I'm, I mean, clearly by all of my random letters, um, I am constantly learning and I'm very into like reading research and I always, I mean, I want to take like every conference that I can and I'm a little bit crazy with that, but, um, whoops. other than that, I, um, you know, I practice as a, as a lactation consultant, I do virtual consults and I do office consults and I do home visits in the Boulder, Colorado area. And, um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> That's amazing. Cool. Well, I might have to have you on again to talk about the oral myofacial stuff because that's yeah, also I'd love to. to me. Um, okay. So can you just tell us, is breastfeeding while pregnant generally safe, which I think most people listening probably know the answer is yes, but why do you think that so many, um, especially like OBs, like healthcare providers tell women when they're pregnant that they need to wean? And can you just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So First of all, let's just talk about the actual safety and what the science says. And, you know, I think that people are really confused about um, oxytocin because the uterus has oxytocin receptors, right? And so they think that, you know, breastfeeding, um, they think they pair oxytocin with breastfeeding, right? And they think that that might put somebody into labor. Um, however, the science does not support that the there's science, both on animals and on humans, a lot more on animals, but, um, the science shows that yes, we do produce oxytocin, of course, while breastfeeding and yes, the uterus has oxytocin receptors. However, um, not as many until around 37 weeks and progesterone, which is a main pregnancy hormone is actually an antagonist or like basically blocks those oxytocin receptors and doesn't allow the body to um, go into labor. It doesn't allow those, oxyto those oxytocin um, receptors to work, you know, unless you're ready to go into labor. And that's when the progesterone falls and 
um, you know, and there, and then those oxytocin receptors can work and then we can do some nipple stimulation and whatnot to help labor along. And it's really interesting because, you know, oxytocin is also released during sex, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we really need to think of it as, you know, if, as long as your provider feels that it's safe for you to have sex, and I mean, you're going to have just as much, if not more oxytocin released during sex at, you know, at this point, um, during your breastfeeding relationship, you know, yeah. in the beginning, we actually release a lot more oxytocin. Um, so if you're safe to have sex, you're also safe to breastfeed. That's so interesting. That's a good way to think about it. And to remember that, um, would, are there any contraindications to, um, nursing while pregnant? Cause like, I know that some, you know, women have reached out to me and said, well, I have a history of preterm labor. So like would history of preterm labor be something that would prevent a woman from being able to safely breastfeed while pregnant? It totally depends on why they had preterm labor, mm -hmm. but, um, for the most part, again, no, unless they are also on pelvic rest, so they can't have sex. Yeah. Um, if they are, um, then their doctor has determined there is enough risk there that they have to limit that. And if they have to limit that, then we probably should, um, consider limiting breastfeeding. Um, often like if it's a hormonal issue, that's some, some of the times, like if they have trouble keeping those hormones up, um, mm -hmm. enough to sustain that pregnancy, that's usually a time when, um, it's contraindicated to breastfeed mm -hmm. while pregnant. Yeah. And I'm sure there are some other times, um, but it's, it's pretty rare. It's so hard because we're always told, well, check with your doctor, check with your doctor, ask your doctor. And it's hard because in this situation, I think there are many, many doctors telling women that they have to wean and they have no science to justify. It. And so it's really hard because on the one hand, I want to say, okay, well, check with your doctor. If you have, you know, some sort of medical issue that could prevent it from being safe for you to breastfeed while pregnant. But on the other hand, how can we, how can we educate doctors? Like, why do they not know this? Why are they giving this information? Yeah, I don't know, because there is actually quite a bit of research mm -hmm. on this and it's, it's not it's not research that's like directly spelled out. Therefore you can breastfeed, you know, while right. pregnant it's research that is actually looking at the oxytocin receptors and you know, how that, how oxytocin impacts labor, you know? So then you have to extrapolate from there, you know, that it's safe. Um, how can, you know, honestly, I, I feel that there are some definitely really good doctors out there that know this information and dispel these myths. But other than that, it's got to be one doctor at a time. And unfortunately, we have to realize that, you know, we're in control and we need to take the research to them. Mm -hmm. And we also have to know that, you know, I guess we have to educate ourselves and, you know, as far as moms go, some are going to be, you know, I, I find that there's like three different types of moms. There's the mom who's just going to follow whatever the doctor says, no matter what, because that's what they're comfortable with. And that's totally fine. That's what they're comfortable with. Then there's the type that's like, mm, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm not going to say anything to my doctor. That was definitely me um, mm -hmm. in my early years of motherhood. Um, and then there's the type that's going to 
try to convince the doctor, you know, and bring in research and show them and do what they want to do, but also try to educate the doctor. And that's me now (laughs) in my later years in motherhood. And just, you know, as um, a practitioner myself and, you know, talking to other healthcare providers, but, you know, I find that now like with Instagram and, you know, all the different types of social media that more mothers are becoming aware that doctors aren't really educated on anything to do with breastfeeding. And, and I honestly think that when more of us start telling our doctors, no, you're wrong about this. Like there is research and this is talked about like the demand will be there for them to learn. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least that's what I'm hoping. I hope so. Yeah. I have my doubts, but I do hope so. Yeah. Um, I'm already seeing some of it turn around a little bit in our area with certain things. So I don't know. That's good. Yeah. And I know there are some amazing doctors out there, but, and it's not, it's not necessarily their fault either. It's just, they're not given the tools. They're not given the education and the training in breastfeeding that really they should be getting. Um, yeah, especially like pediatricians and OBs should be getting that training. Yeah. I mean, although something like this with, you know, a question like this, that they get asked directly a lot, Mm -hmm. I almost, I, and there is a lot of research on, I do find that it's their fault because they should either say, I don't know, or they should have a research backed answer. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And they, I think a lot of times what's happening is they are just repeating things that they've been told by other doctors, by their mentors, by their teachers, and not actually digging into the why. Um, so I think, I think you are right about that. Something so simple as this question for sure. Definitely. And the other thing is, and this comes with everything breastfeeding and the, I mean, so many reasons that doctors say to wean, um, they think it's going to like save their ass. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like the easy answer, you know, for instance, if they're giving a medication that they're not sure about, it's easier to say pump and dump, right? Because then they're not going to get sued. It's easier to tell a mom don't breastfeed while pregnant than to look it up and maybe not be sure about it because then they're not going to get sued. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I, I think that they're also afraid of lawsuits. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so during while pregnant um, and breastfeeding, if you're continuing to breastfeed, what are some of the considerations that mothers should be taking into account? Um, and like specifically, one of the common questions that I get asked is, does breast milk production, is that impacted by pregnancy? And I can never like fully answer that question because just from my experience, I got pregnant with my second when my first was two. And so it like, it wasn't like a full on like nutritional source for her. It was just more supplementary. Um, so what considerations do you have for mothers who are pregnant and wanting to continue to breastfeed? Yeah. So this answer is going to be totally different based on the age of the child that's breastfeeding. It's totally different if you get pregnant at eight months when your first child is eight months or the child you're breastfeeding at the moment is eight months old versus if they're two, three years old, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They oftentimes, if, you know, it's 
late into that first year, they are probably going to need some sort of supplementation. Mm-hmm. And not everybody, almost everybody's milk supply will decrease some in that first um, four months. So in that first 20 weeks. And, but if you have like a really big supply, sometimes you can still, you know, kind of get by. If you're a mom that maybe just had a little bit extra milk or, um, you know, just enough, like the perfect amount, then most likely it's going to fall a little bit, but where everyone sees a fall is right around that four to five month area. So 20 weeks to 24 weeks. And it's totally different from everyone. I'm always really interested to see what happens. Almost everyone has a dip. Some, it totally changes and goes almost all the way to colostrum or um, what we call like weaning milk, where it's really close to colostrum, but really salty and whatnot. Um, And, you know, it's everybody's hormones are different. The other thing to think about is that with pregnancy, it's not going to help. It's not going to get your milk supply up higher, doing more pumping, you know, or milk removal. Like we usually say it's completely hormonal driven. And so whatever you get is what you get. So some again, won't have that great of a dip and some, it will go all the way back to colostrum around 20 to 24 weeks. That's interesting to know. So this is kind of a little off topic, but when just talking about nursing toddlers in general, does Mm -hmm. that supply and demand still apply or is it more hormonal when you're nursing like an older, like an older child, like a toddler? Yeah. Well, either way, there's still some supply and demand, right? Mm -hmm. But usually whatever supply and demand is happening right around the time you get pregnant, you're not going to usually get above that. Okay. Right. Um, so some people can keep it steady for a while Mm -hmm. and eventually it will change to colostrum before having the baby. Some people sooner than others, um, almost always. And I don't know if you experienced this, but it becomes at least more, um, like weaning milk where it's more salty, more fatty, um, sometimes can have an impact even on the toddler's poop and becomes a little more runny. Mm. I don't remember that. I do know I've talked to moms who, um, have said that their, their toddler weaned themselves when they were pregnant, maybe because they didn't like the taste of the milk. My toddler certainly didn't do that. (laughs) And I, I honestly have no idea what happened to my milk because, um, or like in terms of whether my supply dipped or whether the, the, the content of the milk changed because my toddler just wanted to nurse all the time. And I have no idea what was going into her mouth or into her body. Right. Um, she just continued. It was, it was full force, even more. So I would say towards the end of my pregnancy. Yeah. And you know, that's really typical is that moms don't know, uh, unless you're nursing a baby who's really verbal or a child or toddler that's really verbal and tells you like, no more milky left or something, Mm -hmm. you know, or says that they don't like it. And there are a lot of toddlers that don't like it, but also it's good to consider like if you did want to tandem nurse and your toddler wean themselves because of something like that, I've seen a lot of toddlers come back 
you know, in a couple months, once that baby is born. And so also don't think like all hope is lost. I really wanted to tandem nurse and now I can't because my toddler didn't you know, want to. Yeah. That's a yeah. good, that's a good um, thought as well. Can you talk a little bit more about um, what mothers specifically of younger babies? So, or or babies under 12 months or so, or um, who might be a little bit more reliant on that breast milk as their primary source of nutrition, what sorts of things should they be watching out for? And how would they know if they do need to supplement? So if they become pregnant, then they should be doing, I would say, weekly weight checks on their baby if they're trying to see how long they can go without supplementing. Mm-hmm. It is completely it totally depends on the mother and child. I I can't even stress that enough. I've seen, you know, a mother get pregnant when her baby's eight months and she's able to keep a full supply. And then again, I've also seen some that drop right away and they have to supplement. And I see this often um, where parent where moms get pregnant really early because they are um maybe they are trying to, I don't know. What was I going to say? I don't remember what I was going to say, but, um, maybe they're just trying to have their kids really close together or like they were specifically trying this. I think a lot of like infertility families, um, want to implant another, um, embryo really quickly, something like that. And they knew from the beginning that they wanted to do this. And so they prepared for it and like pumped a lot of extra milk and, um, knew that they were going to, um, like kind of wean at that point. It's, um, I would say that it, you know, there are babies that are under 12 months that become more reliant on the bottle and stop breastfeeding. I actually see that it's easier to get like a two-year-old back to the breast than it is sometimes when like a baby really needs like a bigger meal around eight months. And they're like, I don't want this. I need the bottle, Mm -hmm. you know? So I do see that happen a lot. So if there's somebody that wants to tandem nurse and they are, you know, also needing to give quite a bit of bottle. I like to recommend finishing at the breast that way. They're not coming to the breast when they're starving and then not getting enough. Mm. And so starting them off with the bottle and then finishing them at the breast where they can be calm and, you know, and I find that that then can last them, keep them breastfeeding at least through pregnancy a little bit. That makes sense. And when you're referring to a bottle, are you referring to a bottle with supplemental milk or formula in it? Or are you referring, or maybe it's either referring to like pumped milk, either one, whatever. It's just that, you know, if, you know, before 12 months and really a little bit after too, and depending on how much solids the baby is taking, Mm -hmm. usually they still need quite a bit of milk at that point. And so if we go to breast and milk supply has dropped, then some babies are, um, just get pretty upset, you know, and don't want that. And especially if they know the bottles then coming, they'll just start refusing, you know, early and it's a lot harder to get out. So if that slows down and we have that thicker weaning milk, that's close to colostrum, 
it's harder to get out and they're not used to that. They're used to like a big milk ejection reflex and having some easy milk and all of a sudden it's gone, but we're also giving this easy bottle. I've seen a lot that, um, start to really have a bottle preference. At yeah. That too. That makes sense. Okay. Um, okay. So can we talk about nipple sensitivity while pregnant? Because that was a big thing for me. I think it was toward maybe towards the end of the first trimester into the second. And then I think my nipple sensitivity almost disappeared by the end of the second trimester, but it was excruciatingly painful, um, to nurse my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of moms have this experience. Do you have any tips for that? And why does that happen? Well, it's hormonal. If I mean, many moms experience, you know, their nipples hurting even when they're not breastfeeding and they're mm-hmm. pregnant. Yeah, true. Know? And so they are just extra sensitive. Our breasts are changing a lot in there while we're pregnant. We're gaining glandular tissue at the time. We're gaining uh, more canals in there. So everything is changing. Even if we're still breastfeeding, it's still changing on the inside. And I do see that. I actually find that that's probably one of the um, biggest contributors, contributors to weaning during pregnancy yeah. is, you know, moms have that sensitivity or they just, you know, feel yucky when breastfeeding, mm-hmm. they don't like the aversion. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An aversion. And, um, you know, I think that it's more of coping mechanisms that we need to think about than tips to have our nipples not be sensitive because that's going to happen because of the hormones. It's just right. it's biological that that's happening. Um, so the, some coping mechanisms that I've seen work one in particular, um, especially if it's a toddler is doing something like a countdown to, you know, as soon as, you know, limiting the time, but then doing yeah. a countdown, I feel like a countdown helps the mom focus on something different. Mm-hmm. And then also the toddler then has a bit of a warning to when it's going to be done. Another thing is that a lot of moms experience more aversion and in the evening time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that. I don't um, remember noticing that. That's interesting. Like putting their kiddo to bed. I think it's partially because that breastfeed is tends to be longer sometimes. Yeah. And, um, you know, also our milk supply, even when we're pregnant is lower at that time. Mm -hmm. And so they're on there a lot. They might be sucking harder to get the milk out. Yeah. It might be that really annoying little like suckle, suckle, like pause. Oh, so annoying. So annoying. Like a little butterfly sucks. The (laughs) little butterfly. Oh, when I was pregnant, I couldn't stand it. Right. Exactly. And so, um, I also, you know, some moms want to transition at that time and feel like I still want to keep breastfeeding, but I want breaks during bedtime. And -hmm. so that might be a good time when partner can start, we can start integrating partner, putting the toddler to bed, if that's something that you want and something that you can tolerate, because also we don't know what's going to happen once the baby's born and how difficult the baby will be at that time. So it might be something good to practice anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Some people, once the baby's born, it's just super easy. We can breastfeed the baby while reading to the toddler and, you know, yeah. but others that's like witching hour, you know, and mama might not be able to put toddler to bed for a little bit. And so it might be good for partner to work that in also. Yeah. That's what we did actually. Um, so around when the time my daughter turned two, my husband started taking over bedtime and nights. And I, I knew just for my own personal, like peace of mind and just my goals, I knew I had to get him supporting her at night before we could think about conceiving. Um, and when I saw that that was going pretty well, and I knew we were making progress and then we started thinking about conceiving. And so by that time, by the time I was pregnant, I wasn't nursing her to sleep anymore or usually I wasn't nursing her at night. Every once in a while I would nurse her at night if she was having a rough night. Um, so that also definitely, yeah, I think that really helped me. I also did the countdown thing. Um, granted she was two at the time, so she didn't like rely on the milk for nutrition. Um, but I remember I got to the point where I said, you can only nurse for 10 seconds Mm -hmm. and I would count down. And I also would have to hold like a a squishy ball and like squeeze it because it was so, I was like, I could not relax while I was nursing her. I was so tense and just on edge. Um, Mm -hmm. so the countdown thing and the 10, and it worked for her, the 10 seconds, um, she might've fussed like the first time or two, but after that, she just got it. And I counted down and she would just hop off and she would be fine until the next time she asked. So I think it's really important for parents, especially parents of to- or moms of toddlers who are breastfeeding while pregnant and even not pregnant, just breastfeeding in general, it is so okay for you to set boundaries for yourself and for your own mental health. Um, and like, there is a point in time where you can begin saying, no, not right now, no milk right now. Um, you know, you don't always, you don't have to feed just because you're continuing to breastfeed your toddler into their toddlerhood, into childhood, you don't have to nurse on demand. Like you can start saying no and setting those limits, especially if you're pregnant and it's uncomfortable for you and you need that break. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So I think you actually talked about this a little bit already. Um, but I'm so interested to hear kind of what happens, like more on a scientific level and a factual level of what happens when we're making that transition from pregnant to giving birth and actually our milk is coming in. Um, So does the same process happen in the same way as if we were not breastfeeding while pregnant or does that change at all because we were already breastfeeding in terms of like the colostrum and like you already said that there was colostrum production, but I'm just curious to hear exactly how that process happens. Yeah. Well, it changed, you know, the, it's all hormonal. And so therefore our bodies are so smart and it will do it no matter what, you know, and we are still going to have colostrum. Some that are tandem nursing actually notice that their colostrum seems a lot thinner like milk. Um, But what you have to realize too is all milk, even if you're breastfeeding like a six month old has colostrum in it. It's just, we have more of everything else on top of it, including water. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the progesterone is that main hormone of pregnancy. And when the placenta is delivered, that is drops really quickly, which allows all of the hormones of breastfeeding to come in and start, you know, and that's what triggers our milk to go from colostrum to transition into more mature milk. Um, however, the colostrum will start during pregnancy. So 
if you are not nursing, then you will start um, producing colostrum around 20 weeks. If you are nursing, then again, for some, it will your milk supply will drop enough around that 20 week mark. Um, it's a big hormonal shift around that time to where it is more colostrum like and then others it won't until the very end of the pregnancy it won't switch and it's really you know i would like to know why in some women it doesn't switch and why in some women it does mm -hmm. but of course i haven't seen any research on that i have um i don't i don't really know you know but it will be the same. Your next kiddo will still get that rich colostrum and um, everything that your first baby had. I know some people tend to not want to breastfeed because they think that once their milk has, or breastfeed during pregnancy, because once their milk has changed to colostrum and they're still nursing their toddler, um, some are afraid, and maybe some doctors have even told them this, that their toddler will take all the colostrum and there won't be any left. Yeah. And that's definitely not true. Our body will keep producing it and keep producing it and maybe even produce so much more of it because of the supply and the demand mm -hmm. that's there. Um, until the hormones are right to where our milk will transition into mature milk. And that actually usually happens a lot faster in um, people who are breastfeeding through pregnancy. But again, we don't have to think of it as, oh, my infant missed out on all of this colostrum. It's still in there. They're just right. getting higher volume faster. Yeah. I remember being a little surprised when I gave birth with my second because I didn't really know what to expect, but I remember going through the exact same process as in terms of my breasts and like the changes in my breasts. And I got, so like, it took a, a couple of days for my milk to come in. And then I was engorged and like, it was all of the same stuff I went through with my first. And for some reason I had this idea in my head that since I was already breastfeeding, none of that would happen, but it did like we, it does still happen in the yeah. same way, which is really interesting. I think someone told me once that maybe a lactation consultant told me once that our bodies are really smart and will default to the needs of the youngest child. Is there yep. truth to that? Yep. Totally. Totally truth to that. I mean, and just like, you know, our first pregnancy, our bodies, our breasts don't know yet if we had twins or triplets or anything like that. And so of course they go through all the changes and see how much milk you need and everything. And, um, you know, if you have twins, you can still, tandem nurture twin and a toddler. I had a client like that about three months ago. I'm like, girl, you are a rock star, yeah. you know, but, um, they will, it will also always default to the infant's needs and how much the infant needs and what the infant needs. Your toddler will be getting infant milk for a while or colostrum, more colostrum like milk. And, um, like I said before, if that's you and you, you're, toddler is getting a lot of that colostrum in the beginning. Also, um, colostrum does cause looser stools. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, it causes the babies to poop all of that meconium out, right? And so some toddlers will also have a bit of loose stools. So that's Just good to know. I'm that. trying to think if we ever experienced that and I don't remember, but that is really good to know. Um, 
is there anything that we should be considering when we're when we're now tandem nursing okay so our baby is born we're nursing a child as well like should we be putting our should we be feeding our baby first um is it okay to sometimes feed our toddler or nurse our toddler even though our baby hasn't nursed in an hour or two anything like that that we should be concerned about i really still don't know and i remember i would just always try to nurse my newborn first but we also had other issues like he had feeding oral ties, feeding issues. So we had a, a complex tandem journey. Um, but just for anyone wondering, is that yeah. a concern ever that like yeah. there wouldn't be enough? Definitely. I mean, definitely. So, you know, there's moms that make barely enough milk, you know, or maybe have low supply. And in those cases, it's still okay to breastfeed your toddler. We just want to breastfeed the infant first. And then you can still breastfeed your toddler right after, and your toddler will not be taking milk from your infant if you do it right after. Your toddler will only be driving your supply more. And so there's, I, I have worked with people who are nervous to breastfeed, but we have to think of it as like the toddler's like a pump, you know, would you pump right after feeding? Yeah. Everyone would think that that's okay. Um, but it's, you know, the only time when I would say when somebody, you know, doesn't want to do it is they want to, they're triple feeding their infant. And so they are, and they don't have enough milk. And so they want to save every drop for their infant, you know? Um, but even then, oftentimes what, what can happen is we can put the baby to breast, we can pump and get every drop out for that infant. And then the toddler, if you still want your toddler to breastfeed, it's totally fine. If they get a few more drops out, great. If they still want to breastfeed and they get those drops out, they are only increasing your supply more. Yeah. And so even with cases of low supply, it is totally okay to keep tandem nursing. And as far as, you know, when to put the baby to breast versus the toddler, yes, in general, we want to put the baby to breast first, but I would say until we see that the baby is growing, thriving, you know, over birth weight, you also want to take into consideration what your milk supply was with, was like with your first because if you already know that you're one that has a really big milk supply, it probably doesn't matter, you know, mm -hmm. but if you know that from the beginning, you're one that just kind of had an average normal milk supply, which is great. Um, then we do want to, especially in the first six weeks, put the baby to breast first. What about actual like simultaneous tandem nursing, like newborn on one breast and toddler on the other. Is that also maybe something that you want to wait a little bit to do, or is that okay to do right off the bat? Yeah. I mean, it's fine sometimes, but I would say, um, for the most part, we want to give the baby the first opportunity, the infant, the first opportunity, especially until we know they're growing and thriving and they're above birth weight. Mm -hmm. And for some, I would even say in the first six weeks, you know, we, sometimes that infant needs the easy milk on both breasts first. If we know the baby has good oral anatomy, we know that they have a good latch. We know the milk supply is good enough. Like once wherever that is in your journey that you can check off all those boxes, 
then um, totally go tandem nurse um, on one on each side, you know, but I do feel like we do kind of need to check the boxes and, you know, for some that's going to be at two weeks and for some might not be till six weeks. Yeah. It also is just um, a bit harder to manage that physically with a floppy newborn who needs a lot of, a lot of times, a lot of assistance to latch um, than it is with a little, a baby that's a little bit older and maybe is starting to have more head control. Yeah, totally. And then, and a lot of mamas are like, oh my gosh, I forgot, <laughs> you know, yeah. I thought that I would be a pro at this, but I forgot to I do know. this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any advice for moms who are wanting to tandem nurse, just like those early, those beginning stages, maybe to help the toddler cope if there are any like emotional challenges that are coming up um, or any, any advice that you have, any words of wisdom? Words of wisdom. Um, I think that, I mean, I always tell mamas to give yourself some grace, first of all, mm-hmm. and, you know, know that it's might kind of be a sloppy road and that's okay. Um, I mean, I definitely love when mamas plan in advance and plan like some special boxes for a toddler to play with in the very beginning. And, um, I like the book adventures in tandem nursing and, um, you know, and like if your toddler or kiddo or baby is old enough to, you know, comprehend like a book like that, you know, it's, it's really good to, read to them, talk to them about it. Um, and I think that if your kiddo is old enough, letting them have some responsibility during that time and telling them that you need their help. I find that toddlers love to help out and, you know, have some sort of responsibility also, Mm -hmm. if they're not the type that wants to go play with their special box. Yeah. For sure. And I think, you know, that's something I did with my daughter was I had all of these little, like just activities she could do. And I had planned to have her do a puzzle while I was nursing. And that just, she didn't care about that. She just wanted to be right next to me, looking at her baby brother. She wanted to be nursing. And at the time I really couldn't nurse them together because he just needed so much support. He had so many issues. Um, and so it was really, really hard. Um, but one of the things I think it wasn't ever easy at that point, but one of the things I think that helped and that I had to be really mindful of was to never get, never let her know that I was feeling frustrated with her continuously asking me for milk or saying, well, I can't nurse you because your brother needs all this help because I didn't want to, um, build any resentment. Right. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want her to have resentment towards him. Like, oh, he was born and now he's taking away this, this beautiful thing from me and I'm not getting it as much. So I tried mm-hmm. to be really neutral, even though I was really emotional at the time. So I wasn't always neutral. Um, right. but I tried to be really neutral and just say, well, I can nurse you when your brother's done, but I need a few minutes or, you know, something like that, that wasn't like blaming him or getting you know, expressing my frustration too much with her. She was so little at the time. Yes, totally. I also think it's good um, to practice that taking turns while you're pregnant. And so I've seen mamas, let me grab my baby doll, you know, have a baby doll and nurse the baby doll and pretend it's, you know, little brother or sister coming and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's your turn. And, you know, they got the baby milk. Now it's time for the big girl milk, you know? you know, a great idea. 
Yeah, yeah, and a, um, I, I think that language around that is good too. Like they don't want the baby milk. So yeah. there's baby milk in there first and then it's time for big girl milk or big yeah. boy milk, you know? That's a great idea. Um, I didn't, I haven't heard of the book that you mentioned, but now I'm interested in it. But the other thing that you can do too is create your own book, kind of like make a book oh, with yeah. your child and you can even really personalize it. So it has your child's name in it. Maybe it has your, the newborn's name in it. If you know the name of your newborn or before they're born. Um, and you can even put their pictures in it. And so we, this is also called a social story or a visual story or something like that, but that's a really great way to, bef- even before baby's born to start getting your child used to the idea of sharing milk and all of that, taking turns and all of that. Oh, I love that. Okay. I have one last thing I want to talk about. And this one is like emotional for me because I, one of the things that was hardest for me is, okay, I had the nipple sensitivity during pregnancy, but I didn't feel aversion to my daughter nursing. It was just Mm -hmm. painful. But once my daughter, once my newborn was here, And I had the, like the little sucks and the, you know, feeling a newborn nurse. And then my daughter would come nurse. And I had the worst aversion. Like it felt like I, my skin was crawling. Like I just wanted to shove her off of me. And so that ultimately ended our, you know, I say it ended our breastfeeding relationship before I was really ready, but I mean, she stopped nursing before she turned four. So it's not like our (laughs) breastfeeding relationship was short by any means, but once I had my son, I did have to even drastically reduce her breastfeeding time more because I just couldn't handle it. So we got to the point where I was like literally breastfeeding her for 10 seconds every night. And that was it. Um, which I kind of felt, I felt guilt over, you know, this beautiful bonding experience that we had has become this thing that I hate and I dread it. And I want her, I want to throw her across the room when she's not literally, but that's how I feel. Like when she's nursing, I wanted to just shove her off of me because the aversion was like nothing I've experienced before. And I have talked to some other mothers who experienced the same thing, nursing their toddler. And I'm just wondering, I don't know, is there like a reason that this happens? Um, or do you have, like, do you have any information about that or any tips for coping with that? Maybe it's the same kind of coping tips for nipple aversion or nipple sensitivity. No, I do think it's the same type of kind of tips, but I was talking to another IBCLC about this recently. And there are, I was at a conference, I don't know, probably five years ago. And so I don't have even a reference to give you or anything, but there are stories from, you know, a long time ago, I always say back in the cave days, but (laughs) probably not that long ago, um, you know, of mothers, like not wanting to breastfeed anymore and with their older children. And, you know, I do wonder if there is something biological where it's like, okay, it's time to wean, or, you know, I don't have this much to give like nutrient wise, or it's taking too much away from my body, whatever it is. I think that first of all, we need to give ourselves grace, total grace. And don't think that there's something wrong with us because of that. And I think that it's always okay to listen to our bodies and set even more limits if we need that. Um, our bodies tell us so much and I'm so big on listening to our bodies and listening to your intuition and not feeling guilty that you are leading the weaning a little more at this point than they are. Um, because I think throughout history, 
you know, there are times where moms lead the weaning, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's because they were always taught to listen to your intuition. They knew it was time to be done, you know, and that's okay. If your body's telling you, you need to wean, it doesn't always have to be 100% child led. The other thing is, is if you don't want to wean, but you just want certain times where you're not going to nurse or set, you know, setting those limits like you did with the 10 seconds or whatever that is, um, you know, 100% give yourself grace and know that listening to your body and listening to your intuition is really important. And, um, you know, your body is not going to fail you. Your intuition is not going to fail you about needing to set those limits. Yeah. I think that's so, that's really good advice. And it's so important. And I, I feel like there's almost this, you know, in our, in, in the world of like breastfeeding and, you know, quote unquote extended breastfeeding, which I think we all hate that term because it's really not extended, but there's almost this idea, maybe unspoken idea that you just need to, you just need to nurse until your child stops nursing. If you're going that route, you know, it's almost like the opposite end of the spectrum from the more mainstream, um, breastfeeding paths that many mothers take. And I don't think either of those are right. Like, I think like you're saying, it's totally okay to do the, the whole extended breastfeeding, breastfeeding your toddler thing tandem nursing and still take the lead a little bit. If you're feeling like you need to, I never thought that I would lead the weaning for my child. I thought I'll just let her. Cause I, I loved breastfeeding before I got pregnant. Like I loved everything about it. And I, I was like, why would I ever stop this? It's the easiest way to do everything to calm her, to comfort her, to get her to sleep. Um, I thought we would just breastfeed until she wanted to stop, but then things changed. And so I think it's just important for, for, women to know it could change. And, you know, especially when you have the aversions, the intense aversions, which I really can't describe it other than it felt like my skin was crawling. Like it wasn't anything that I could control mentally and make better. Um, it was just miserable. And until you experience that, you might not, you might not feel that things will change, but it might, and it's okay for you to also change things as you feel like you need to, um, and kind of lead the way, especially with the almost four-year-old. It's okay. (laughs) Definitely. Um, and really at any age, yeah. you know, um, I, I, I'm, I mean, I I already said this, but I am just so big into listening to mama's instincts Mm -hmm. and I really believe they will lead you in the right direction and that there's a reason for them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for all of your wisdom. And this has been so helpful. I, um, the, the episode before this one, I just kind of explained about my own tandem journey. It was just like a personal podcast about my journey and what I went through a lot of what I already, what I also repeated here. Um, but I really wanted somebody to come on and give us the science and give us the facts. And so this has been so informative for me and I'm sure all of our listeners, can you tell us where we can find you and what kind of, um, resources or support that you offer for anybody that needs them? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, my website is bvlactation.com as in Boulder Valley Lactation. And you can also find me on Instagram at Kelly IBCLC. And um, for anybody that is not in the Boulder County area, um, I do virtual consults. So awesome. I'm happy to do virtual consults on really anything breastfeeding or even bottle feeding related. 
That's amazing. Great. And I will link um, your website in the show description notes too, for easy access. Great. All right. Well, thank thank you. you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay, guys, I have to tell you about one of my newest obsessions. So I am a working mom. I work sometimes. I work part-time. I fit in whatever I can during the day. A couple times a week, I have a few hours of childcare, and I feel like I'm scrambling like a chicken with its head cut off, just trying to cram as much as I can into those couple of hours. And what that often means is that I neglect myself. I don't eat as much. I'm snacking. I'm just grabbing random things because I don't want to take time out of my childcare time to make a nourishing meal for myself. Um, And so I have discovered Daily Harvest and I'm obsessed. Daily Harvest meals, food, nourishing meals, snacks, smoothies, even ice cream, straight to your door. You stick them in the freezer and then it's super easy to prep them when you're ready. And what I really love about Daily Harvest and appreciate so much because I'm, I try to be so mindful about what I put into my body and onto my body and their ingredients are so clean. They don't use a lot of preservatives and, and fillers and things like that. And most of their ingredients are organic, which is important to me. And I really appreciate them. And they're delicious. So their smoothies are so good. One of my favorite smoothies is the mint and chocolate smoothie. So good. It tastes like mint chocolate chip ice cream. Um, Anyways, I love them. It's made my life a lot easier. It's nice to just have convenient meals on hand um, because it feels like, you know, for me, my, all of my effort goes towards prepping food for my kids. And sometimes I forget about myself. So it's nice to have those things on hand. You can try it too. And you can save $40 on your first order with the code TaylorK. Go to daily-harvest.com, use the code TaylorK, and save up to $40 on your first order. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.